the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Team of Detroit, hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Gretch. Throw those buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Gretch. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw those buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Come on. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no roles. Excuse all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we going to take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Big Gretch got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Gretch with the bucks on on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit Michigan. Throw them bucks on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face. Cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Big Gretch. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and we're going to revisit uh, a conversation I had with uh, author and investigative journalist Susan McClelland a while back. 
with a uh, about a book that um, she collaborated with uh, uh, the person that the book was actually uh, based on and, and the story was about. It was called uh, Boy from Buchenwald, The True Story of a Holocaust Survivor. It was written by Robbie Weissman, I think I'm saying that right, along with Susan McClellan. And uh, joining me by phone, we have Susan McClellan. Susan, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. And also join us, joining us, we have Robbie Weissman. Am I saying that right, Robbie? Absolutely. Well, welcome, yes. welcome. It's good to hear from you, and it's it's an amazing story, and Susan did a great job of explaining the book and what the book was about and how it came about. But I wanted to ask you, because after you and almost 500 other boys uh, were uh, liberated from uh, Buchenwald, the uh, concentration camp in Germany, in 1945. After going through some very difficult times, you ended up moving to Canada in 1949. You've been an accountant and uh, father, grandfather, um, and and you didn't talk about the Holocaust or your experiences at Buchenwald until 30-plus years later. Um, what... Yeah. Why didn't you talk the, about it, and, and what made you decide to start after all that time? Well, we were full of rage and anger because we didn't know the full picture. We wanted to go home and be reunited with family. And then we slowly realized the enormity of all the people that have died. We have no idea that six million were killed and one and a half million children. So we became full of rage and anger. And uh, we had all kinds of people, uh, like uh, Manfred Reinwitz from the uh, Sorbonne and other people like that. And they were trying to uh, calm us down and told us to move on with life. Uh, catch up in your education, etc. So it was a, a horrific time, but uh, to make a long story short, uh, the, the boys of Buchenwald, some of my friends, we've all settled down, and uh, uh, one of them became a Nobel Peace Prize and little uh, Lulek, the chief of our future, like go on and on. And I'm very proud of my boys, what we all achieved. But you didn't talk about those experiences for all those years that you were um, a, a certified uh, accountant and successful businessman and, and all of that. You didn't, you didn't share those stories with your family or, or with your friends. And then all of a sudden, some 30 years later in the 1980s, you decided to go out and start talking about this. You became really kind of a, a coveted international speaker on the subject of surviving the, the Holocaust. What made you not want to talk about it and then 
what made you decide to well, talk about it? The expert told us to move on with life and, and put all the horrors aside and catch up in your education and move on, um, you know, get married, have children and grandchildren. And we did this. And what we what started myself and others like me was the high school teacher in Axel, Alberta, by the name of Kikstra, who was teaching the, his students that the Holocaust was a myth. It never happened. And when I heard this, it woke me up. And many people like myself. And we felt that the world has to know what happened. And we were, uh, we had to speak about it and we, uh, uh, and uh, have, uh, and, 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 and I'm happy to tell you that we established like the uh, Holocaust Center in many places in Canada. And we reached young people, thousands of them every year in, uh, in history, telling him what happened. And uh, we, we must teach the future generation and the, and the uh, present generation. And uh, all of us survivors will make sure that it never, ever happens again. There's some horrible things still happen in uh, in the world, but nothing to compare to what happened uh, during the Holocaust. But when you see those things, Robbie, are you concerned that something as horrible could grow out of some of these horrible things? Uh, I don't think that the world today would ever allow anything like this to happen. And uh, where was the world that when the, all these horrific murders were going on? And particularly in Germany, when Germany was in the forefront of civilization. So, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful to Churchill, to President Churchill, who really stepped up and he was one of the first ones who uh, sort of inspired the rest of the free world to go ahead and uh, fight a against the Nazis. And, and to so, expose what was going on there. Absolutely. So uh, I, I'm grateful to him, to Churchill, for doing it, because... Where was the rest of the world? Everybody looked the other way while Hitler was committing those horrific acts. How is it possible, <laughs> Robbie, how is it possible with all the, the film that was taken, the photographs that were taken, the news reports that came out of the liberation of the camps and all of the things that have been written about and talked about, how is it possible for anyone to form a belief that it was somehow a myth? Uh, yeah, well, some people that I, 
that I spoke to, he says, how was it? It's not possible. It's, it was just made up. They, they, they couldn't believe it. But uh, fortunately, there were some films, there were some uh, historical facts established. Uh, but when you think back, where was the world? And people were killed in, by the millions. And, and that they had these uh, centers, you know, gas centers, where you walked in right. and you were gasped. I mean, how was that all possible when you think back? Uh, and as I said before, I'm grateful that Churchill is the well, only one in the world that stood up and said, hey, we've got to stop this. And uh, if he hadn't declared war against Germany at the time, I wouldn't be here. And many like myself. Robbie, what made you, um, or, or how did you come to decide and, and ultimately to participate in, in writing this book about your experience? Well, we were all full of rage and anger when we found out, you know, I had older brothers and, and, and uh, a sister and, and, and cousins and so on. And I wanted to go home, be reunited with family. And then we were told, we realized the enormity of all of that. So we were full of rage and anger. And... Uh, uh, and then, of course, in Eckville, Alberta, there was a teacher by the name of Keekstra who was teaching his uh, students, he was a, a, a history teacher, that the Holocaust was a myth, it never happened. Some people died, but nothing like it. And... I became so angry, but when I think back, I'm grateful to him because he woke me up. And, uh, of course, then I also decided to write a book about it and everything else. How did you get so teamed up with Susan? With Susan? Yeah. Uh, I was introduced to her many years ago. Uh, uh, to my brother-in-law, and uh, I'm grateful to her. We became very close, and uh, uh, I had enough stories for for three of oh, three books. <laughs> she put them together beautifully, and she was so uh, inspired. And uh, I'm so grateful to her because she's an amazing uh, lady and and friend. Susan, she helped me with the book. Susan, <laughs> are, you, are you still yes. with us, Susan? Susan, I how am, did, I am. Yes. Susan, well, how did... Susan, I'm glad I didn't say anything bad about you. I didn't know you were <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, oh. More about the boy from Buchenwald, from Holocaust survivor Robbie Weissman, and investigative journalist Susan Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you are listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about the boy from Buchenwald, from Holocaust survivor Robbie Weissman, and investigative journalist Susan McClelland, straight ahead. <laughs> Susan, um, I, yeah. I didn't mean to leave you out for so long, but I, I didn't get a it's chance okay. to talk I to Robbie. I wanted you to hear Robbie's, um, I but, you to hear Robbie's voice. But when, uh, when you got introduced to Robbie and, and started working together on this book, Yes. For for your role in it, how much of it was writing and research, and how much of it was just editing Robbie's stories? <laughs> um, <laughs> everything, everything. Um, I mean, Robbie, all the people that I work with are professional writers, so it's it's working out what goes where, uh, how to. Like Robbie was full of stories. But, of course, you had to have background for that story. So a lot of that um, was, you know, really working with Robbie. I would write something. He would read it. I actually sat with him and his wife and read through the whole manuscript before it went to the publisher. But a lot of those details also uh, Robbie didn't either know or... um, uh, you know, his, his memory, he, he is the oldest person I've ever worked with, and he is so much part of my heart, too. Um, uh, you know, I had to do a lot of fact-checking. And um, so I got archives from France, uh, the files. I worked with the professor um, at uh, the University of Michigan to, uh, who has been studying the Book and Mont Boys for ages. I poured through, oh, so many files. Um, and, yeah, so it was a lot of research as well. Robbie, how old were you when the camp was liberated? I was 14, not yet 14, uh, and, uh, well, then I think back, you know, I had so many friends my age that were all killed. And Look, I had four older brothers. Uh, and, you know, it was actually my older brother who was an officer in the Polish army. And he had the vision to get me out of the ghetto and uh, put me in, in, I was hidden uh, outside of the ghetto. And that's how it survived. And the ghetto was liquidated. Everybody of my age were killed. Oh, I'm grateful to my older brother for... But then Robbie snuck back into the ghetto. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you started, I mean, this must have been a tough process for you, Robbie, to relive not only your experiences, but those losses as well um, to, to... to do this book, how long did it take to, to get this put together uh, in book form? It, it, it still puts chills on me when I think back uh, because I listened to uh, Professor Nanta Dreingitz from the Sorbonne who told, was speaking to us because he was so full of rage and anger and we were liberated. We wanted to go home, be reunited with family. 
and we uh, sort of slowly realized the full picture that home no longer existed, that family were all murdered. Uh, so we were full of rage and anger, and uh, but we had all these caregivers like Professor von der Sorbonne who were making these speeches and uh, yeah, I, I can't even repeat what we used to tell him where to go. But <laughs> he would, I can but, imagine. But he, but he wouldn't give up, you know, and then the one special time when he spoke uh, he said, ah, why am I doing this? I'm wasting my time. And then as he was walking away, he turned back and he pointed his finger at me and he said to me, Ramek, by the way, if your family were alive, if your mom and dad were alive and they were, would where I'm standing right now, what do you think they would want for you? And we all listened to this and sort of registered. And then he says, ah, I'm wasting my time. And he was walking away. Uh, and we all looked at one another and, uh, and it, oh, it, I, I'm still remembering to, to to tell you back and I have to tell you that we put all our sorrow aside and we moved on with life and uh, one little Lulek who became the chief rabbi of Israel and Elie Wiesel Nobel Peace Winner I can go on and on and I'm so proud of the boys uh, that liberated me and what they have accomplished now, it, it it seems when you look this far back that the time from 1945 when you were liberated from Buchenwald to 1949 when you moved to Canada is four years. And that seems like a fairly short period of time, but I, I suspect it felt a lot longer to you. How did you end up going to Canada? Well... Uh, we, the, as I said, we, when we were liberated, our aim was to go back home and be reunited with family. And slowly we sort of got the full picture and realized, hey, home no longer existed. And the expert said, no, you don't want to go home. And there was nothing to go home to. Uh, our homes, our families, everything was destroyed. So the, uh, the world opened its doors to us. And we had an opportunity to go. First, we went to France. And from France, we sort of, we, uh, we, we had a time to recatch. With, our, uh, with everything in life. And then we looked to know through all the world, the experts came, okay, you can go to Canada, you can go to Australia, 
And so we looked at places to go away from Europe, to distance ourselves from all the horrors. Um, so most of my friends, in fact, I was already on a ship going to um, Australia when a lady, uh, her name was Madame Mintz, who was a caregiver, and my name was called, and she took me up, and she said, uh, you shouldn't go that far. Stay with us in France. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I cut up my schooling in, in France, and there was a family that wanted to adopt me, but I said, no, thanks. And then uh, I found out about Canada, and all of us thought that Canada was a place of heaven, and indeed it was. And you were about a- 18 at that time. Um, where where did you live when you got to Canada, and, and how did you um, survive and, and, and ultimately end up thriving? Yeah, well, uh, first, uh, you know, I, I was already uh, in French and learned French. So when I came to Canada, I wanted to be, uh, go to Montreal. But they said, no, there's not enough room for you guys. And, and so uh, we landed uh, up in Calgary. And I have wonderful memories. I caught up in my schooling and uh, etc. Susan, and then eventually, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Susan. Had you uh, written about World War II at all before? How much of an education was was Robbie's experience in in life, and and the putting together of this book an education for you? Um. No, I hadn't written anything, just trying to think, uh, in my magazine career, have I done anything? Um, I may have, but it would have been a journalistic um, magazine or a newspaper piece. Um, I mean, I certainly, I grew up, I I was born in the late 1960s, so I grew up certainly through my schooling, knowing about the Holocaust. World War II was a topic in my history class. Um, classes, so I certainly knew it from that angle, um, and yeah, when I started to work with Robbie, uh, of course I became more immersed um, in the actual politics of it all. I watched so many films, I watched lots of books, uh, read lots of books, so yeah. I just want to add that Susan uh, was amazing. Because I, when I told her my story and she put it all together for me, Susan, I'm always grateful to you because oh, I think I you. have not I'm grateful to you. Left two, for two books and she put it all together so beautifully. And I'm always grateful. Uh, when I speak to people about my book, I always said Susan is the one that made it all possible. <laughs> Thank um, you, I know I'm grateful to you because you, you put it all together so beautifully. Robbie, when Thank you first you. got to Canada, um, 
or in in Calgary specifically. Um, did you work? Did you go to school? Did did you stay with people you know or that you'd been introduced to? Or did you I live did, in your I, Yeah, I uh, yes, uh, in, in Calgary. I I I stayed with a family named Gorish and uh, caught up in my schooling, learned the language, and uh, worked. Uh, and uh, Calgary, when I think back, and and Canada is is a place in heaven. And it gave us a lot of my boys an opportunity to become human again, and to, and to. Uh, Catch up in our school and catch up with life and uh, and move on as normal human beings because we are full of rage and anger. Uh, yes, and uh, of course I had to learn. Uh, I uh, spoke of French first, and then I had to learn English, and. Uh, when I think back and where I come from and what we went through, uh, when people complain, I will stop and give them a little <laughs> lecture. <laughs> this is heaven. It's heaven on earth. I mean, this is the best in, in the whole world. And, uh, and I'm sure it's, and, it seemed and probably still seems very much like heaven to you, Robbie, and and certainly what you'd been through was clearly reminiscent of the other place. Yeah, and uh, then I told you about Kickstra, the high school teacher in right. Echo, Alberta, who was teaching the students that the, the Holocaust, it's a myth, it never happened. I was so angry, but I'm grateful to him because... He woke us up, many of me, of uh, people like myself. Well, I'll tell and you, I'm, I'm, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's an incredible story, Robbie, and, and uh, the world is a better place because you're still with us. Uh, oh, I, I, I'm, I, when I think back, I'm grateful of all the, my uh, Buchenwald boys and what, We've accomplished in this world, and how we are teaching the world to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, now, the, when you talked about, uh, you know, in in France, um, I think it was in France where you went to the to to a home for rehabilitation. Um, Albert Einstein had something to do with that. Did you ever? meet him or know that he somehow played a role in in your yes, rehabilitation? Yes, I met him. I didn't realize that he was so famous. Uh, yeah, friends was wonderful. It was the old day. Uh, in French, it's Ever-Secours Enfants. The old day was a special organization that helping children. And uh, they did some wonderful work. I'm grateful to them. Uh, they sort of uh, sponsored many of us, helped us to catch up in schooling and move on with life. 
So it's been a wonderful organization. I don't know if it still exists. Now, I read that you've um, been doing some speaking um, internationally on things, of, uh, on topics of the Holocaust and, and reconciliation and forgiveness. Are, are you still out speaking, Robbie? Uh, well, not in the last couple of years. Everything sort of stopped. And of course... You know, there's no gatherings. We don't go into schools anymore. Well, yeah, that sort of is uh, is on a hold. But uh, I did an awful lot of work, and I'm very proud of uh, many of boys like myself. Uh, well, Robbie, and because it's yeah, an honor and a privilege. Of, go ahead, Robbie. Yeah. Uh, because the experts told us to, because we we wanted to speak, and many of, of the experts that analyzed us and spoke to us uh, told us to move all our souls, uh, all our bad memories aside, move on with lives, catch up in your schooling, etc., etc. And, et and uh, many of us did. Uh, sorry, I can't. I can't. What were you saying? Oh, I was just I was just saying, Robbie, that it's an honor and a privilege to talk with you and and how um grateful I am that you're willing to share your story with me and the listeners and the world um through your book and through your speaking engagements. And Susan, I wanna I wanna thank you again for the Thank time you. you were here before and for coming back again and bringing Robbie with, along with you. I, I really appreciate mm -hmm. uh, talking with both of you. Absolutely, Connor. Thank you. And if Susan is amazing because I had... <laughs> okay, okay, enough, enough. We know that. So many we know books. That. Okay. <laughs> Robbie is amazing. <laughs> Well, I think you're both amazing, and thank you both, Susan. Just one last, uh, one last thing, as I always do with guests, is let people know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Yeah. Of course, the book is uh, "Boy from Buchenwald: The True Story of a Holocaust Survivor" by Robbie Weissman, with Susan McClelland. Um, Susan, is is there a website for the book and and for yeah. Robbie? Mm -hmm. Not for the book. I have a website. It's smcclelland, S-M-C-C-L-E-L-L-A-N-D.com. Um, but there is a link to the book uh, and sellers on my website. Well, again, thank you both. and uh, Thank you. And Susan, Robbie, both of you, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thank you. And bye, Robbie. Goodbye, sweetie. Uh, wonderful. Bye. What you guys are doing, and I'm grateful because the world must never forget. That's so the thank you again. That's the perfect note to end on. Take care, both of you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, again, that was uh, Robbie Weissman and Susan McClellan. They worked together to tell the story of uh, 
Robbie Weissman's life. The book is called Boy from Buchenwald, The True Story of a Holocaust Survivor. And he was uh, liberated from Buchenwald in 1945. At age 14, ended up in uh, Canada at age 18. And um, for 30 years, didn't really talk about his experiences. And uh, then he began speaking, and now there is a book to uh, remember the event and um, the people who survived it, like Robbie Weissman. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I would like to take you to the opera where you are going to hear a Mozart opera, which is nothing but an opera written by Mozart. (laughs) This is an opera in one act, and it begins when the curtain rises. Otherwise, you couldn't see a thing. The stage setting is a kind of a forest. There are two large trees, which of course indicates the forest. It's a kind of a small forest, but it's a forest. (laughs) First, the tenor comes in. He is supposed to meet his soprano, as they usually call those ladies. But she's a little late this particular season, so he hides himself behind one of the trees in order to surprise her when she comes in a little later, which she does. When she arrived, she can't find him because he is occupied behind one of the trees. (laughs) Ah, He's with a knife carving her name into the (laughs) scenery. She doesn't know that he is there, but, uh, well, as a matter of fact, she must know it because she saw it during rehearsals. Either she pretends that she doesn't know it, or she's just plain stupid. (laughs) Or whatever it is, she gets across the stage somehow and takes place behind the other tree, which for the occasion hides her. (laughs) To a certain extent. Now, The chorus comes in, but nobody knows why, except Mozart, and he is dead. (laughs) And that's just too bad. Next, her father comes in, and he is a very old man, primarily because she is a very old soprano. (laughs) And he is very angry because apparently she is not his daughter. Now, this has nothing to do with the opera. I found that out myself. (laughs) And that's what we call research. (laughs) Anyway, he decides that he has had enough of her, so he tells her to die, and that's exactly what she's going to (laughs) do. And with that, the opera ends, and people can go home. Now I take you to the opera house where you hear the conductor's footsteps when he enters the orchestra pit. Here he comes. Yeah, he walks sideways. <laughs> and this is the overture. This, ladies and gentlemen, was the first part of the overture. Now you hear the second part, and that's exactly the same. Now this little bloop is an extra bloop. We have in case we shoot one shot of bloops. 
But that has never happened, so we have a lot of bloops left over. <laughs> now the curtain rises and the tenor arrives. He's a little tall fellow, he comes in. <laughs> he comes in from the left in a single file. He goes behind the tree right away. <laughs> now the leading lady arrives. She is supposed to fill the part of the soprano. Now she not only fills it, she overflows it a little bit. <laughs> She's a big husk, a big, uh, uh, she's a big soprano, that's what she is. She's what we call a messy soprano. She comes in in a single pile. She also arrives backwards, but nobody notices the difference. She goes behind the other tree. She can hardly wait because... Uh, see, she is... She supposedly hasn't... She hasn't met him for a long time, so she is just... She's anxious. Now is the time for the chorus. The light is dimmed, so you can hardly see these people when they arrive, and that's why they're dressed in a kind of cheap underwear. Because there is no reason to spend a lot of money for costumes when you can't see them. Right? And that's the way the, way the management of this theater feels about it, and that's the way it's gonna be. <laughs> Here they come. Bread and butter. Now they're all in and they fool around in the dark for a little while. This is a mixed chorus. And butter. <laughs> now they're out, they get the money and go home. Next, a baritone comes in and sings, Toreador, Toreador. But he finds out that he's in the wrong opera. <laughs> now, the father comes in, the old man, and he is the basso. Oh, oh, oh. 
almost now told her what he had to say and she understands him quite well so now she prepares herself to die but before she dies she sings an area the so-called die area She seems very happy about it. She dies by stabbing herself between the two big trees. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. you with 
thumbs up and wide See you on the other side Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.